How's it going, Stall Company? How about those donuts, huh? Yeah, yeah, that wasn't planned. Those just showed up. So, if I haven't met you yet, my name's Jake. I'm the teaching pastor at Candeo Church. And so I figured this week I'd steal a playbook, or a play from Ernie's playbook. Um, like, I want you to like me, okay? And so the way that I've learned to get you to like me is if I show you a picture of my family. So um, that's my, see? It's working. It's working. So that's me. Uh, that's my daughter, Naomi, she's six years old, and then Judah is three, and then that's my wife, Sarah. Uh, we've been married for 11 years, and uh, it's been great, yeah. So, um, I, got, I got another picture of Naomi here. There's Naomi, she's six. Now, here's the thing about family pictures, and you probably know this, you know, this is just like social media in general, where you kind of put your best foot forward, right? Where it's like, we just wanna look nice and, you know, Put, put our best foot forward. Now, I've got another picture here of Naomi in her natural habitat, all right? So that's, because like, because you don't get the personality from the family picture, you know? And so there's one more of her that captures it better. So Naomi, um, Naomi is sweet. She is kind. She is gentle. Um, she loves to read. She's a reader. She loves to tickle. She loves to laugh. Um, but she's pretty introverted. And so if you run into Naomi on a Sunday, uh, you're not gonna see any of that, okay? She's gonna kind of like stay there. Like she'll respect you, but you're not gonna get the goofball that I know. Um, and she's a fighter. Like she's a fighter. Like I'm pretty sure she'll be smarter than me in a year. And so I've just gotta get it in now. Cause she really, if she thinks you're wrong, like you're wrong. And she's gonna take you down, you know? It's like, like she, <laughs> and she's very principled. And so she doesn't, she, she doesn't wanna lie. And she thinks that, so here's an example. She's like, Daddy, why, why can't I call people ginormous <laughs> if that's what they are? <laughs> like, don't they know? It's like, <laughs> I get your point. But no, we can't do that. Like, that's just her personality, right? And what's so funny is that um, Naomi, is kind of like my personality doppelganger a little bit, where we're a little bit more introverted. Like, we gotta, you gotta kind of get to know us for the personality to come out, and we'll just kind of say it like it is, and we don't understand why people are offended. Like, that's just kind of the way that we are. Naomi's very much like me. So we'll move on to Judah. So here's Judah. Yeah, he's a heartbreaker. Yeah, those eyes, man. Um, but, but here's Judah in his natural habitat, okay? So this was last night, literally took this last night. He, I'm standing in the kitchen, he's got two spatulas, and he throws one to me, and like as it's in the air, he starts sword fighting with me. <laughs> like, like as though I'm supposed to know what we're doing, right? He's, he is so delightful, he's, uh, he's so playful. He, we laugh our heads off, he's a total goofball. He, Judah cares way more about having fun than being right. Like, he's like, you can be right as long as we're having fun. I don't care. Um, he's incredibly joyful. We, his, one of his nicknames in our house is Joyful Judah. He just really, for him to not be just wanting everyone to have fun is 
it's just inconceivable. And so he loves to have fun. He loves running rather than reading. So Naomi's the reader. Judah's the runner. He's like, forget books. Like, we got things to do. Like, we got this hole in our backyard. It's huge. And it's just, it's going to nowhere. It's just him digging a hole. Like, I don't know what he's doing with it, but he's just got to be doing, and he comes in just covered in mud, stuff like that. So um, Judah, so Naomi takes a little while to warm up, right? Judah, um, he's way quicker to just like, if, if he gets to know you pretty quick, like he'll be your best friend. He's just like, he just loves people. And so he'll say hi as he's walking through, you know, Walmart, stuff like that. Like he doesn't know a stranger. Judah's very different than Naomi. Uh, and and in that way, Judah really is my wife's doppelganger. Like it's like my wife, Sarah, doesn't know a stranger. She's incredibly like, she comes off really warm and is really warm and just is so inviting. And, and they're just so similar. Now, Here's what I realized. You didn't come to Salt Company tonight to hear about my family, okay? But the reason why I tell you all of this, besides wanting you to like me, which I hope we've accomplished that, uh, besides that, though, is that I've noticed something about families, about parents, about kids, and that is that you can learn a lot about the personality of parents by spending time with their kids, right? Like, kids aren't their parents, but if you spend enough time with them together, you start to see, like, oh, there's some personality similarities here. Like, those kids kind of identify in some ways, kind of like with their parent. And it makes sense. It makes, it makes a lot of sense because uh, we usually become what we, what we behold, right? Like, we usually become what we behold. And so, for kids, uh, the people that they're around most are their parents or their primary caretaker or their grandparents or whatever the family situation is. They're usually around those people the most often. And so usually they'll kind of start to exhibit a lot of the personality traits of the parent. Like kids are in a lot of ways the unfiltered version of their parents. They really, like they just, just haven't been socialized, right? So that's why they say that like they're ginormous. You know, it's like, you know, don't say that. But like that's just the unfiltered version of their parents. And I think the same thing is true between God and his church. A lot of people tend to base their opinion on God off of an interaction with the church or an interaction with other Christians. And the way Christians act and what they say and how they treat one another, the things that they value or don't value, ultimately ends up painting a picture about who God is, right? It's like, if that's what God's kids are like, then that must be what God is like, which is why some of you might have a bad taste in your mouth when it comes to God. Because your experience with the church or your experience with other Christians just wasn't all that great. And kind of like kids with their parents, it's like, well, if the kids are that way, then the parents must just kind of be like that too. And if the church is that way, then God must kind of be like that too, right? And so maybe for you, um, some of you, God seems kind of like a stuffy, rigid, boring, celestial police officer who's kind of like, spet, like set up a morality speed trap that he's just waiting to catch you, like speeding through that, you know? He's just kind of waiting to get you, right? And so you kind of view God that way because possibly you're, maybe the church you grew up in was sort of like that. Maybe the Christians you grew up in were sort of like that. Like they were constantly just trying to figure out how to tell you what you're doing wrong and how you should fix it. So maybe, that, maybe that's you. 
Or maybe you're kind of on the other end here. I think, I think this happens a lot. Is that for you, um, God isn't like a police officer. God's more like a vending machine. It's kind of like, well, if I need something, or if I, if I get in a situation, I can just put in a few prayers and out will pop whatever I need. And maybe the reason that you kind of see God like a vending machine, like he's just kind of like celestial Santa Claus, just up there just like waiting for you to like make, make your list and he'll check it twice and make sure that you're, not, that you're nice and not naughty, right? And he'll like give you what you want is because maybe you grew up in a family or around a church or in a church or whatever it is where it's like everyone there obviously is just there for the benefits. Like this is just kind of like a Xanax approach to Christianity where it's like, well, just pop this pill, you'll feel better. Just like, like take this verse and that'll help you with your life, right? Like it's just so like this will just fix your life. And maybe, maybe you view God that way, where he's just kind of like, like he's your emergency number on speed dial. But the question that, that we're gonna answer tonight is what should Christian community look like? Like we all probably have our experiences either with the church or we've encountered a Christian at some point in our lives and that's, that's given us an impression. It's given us an impression of what God is like and of what the church is like. And so we're gonna answer the question tonight as we talk about community, like what is Christian community supposed to look like? So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open to Acts chapter two. It's gonna be in Acts chapter two and we're gonna see what the community of God is supposed to look like. And we're gonna see how our community paints a, paints a picture of God to everyone around us. So Acts chapter two, uh, if you don't know where that is or if you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen too, so don't worry too much. I wanna start in verse 41. Verse 41, here's what it says. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. All right, just stop right there. I'll read that again. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. So notice what wasn't said here. As we're talking about the Christian community, as we're talking about the church, what isn't talked about is a building. Like that the church, that the community of God isn't a building. Like this, what we're in right here is not the church. This is the building that the church meets in. And like, if this building burned to the ground and Candeo Church, the people, like, moved out to the parking lot, well, that's where the church is. If, if we went somewhere else, like, just found a field, if we were under these palm trees, like, that, that's what a church is. Palm trees in Iowa, come on. So, but yet, you get what I'm saying, right? The church isn't a building. And check out what else, what else is said in there. So those who accepted his message. Now we're gonna talk about who, who is his. His is the apostle Peter. And he gave a sermon earlier on in these verses. We'll look at that in just a bit. But here's what it is. The church is made up of people who have heard and accepted the gospel. The church is made up of people who have heard and accepted 
the gospel. That word accepted, isn't they just like, like intellectually assent to it? It's not like, oh, I hear that and I agree. I, I, I agree with that. It's like, no, they accept it. They receive it. They embrace it. Like it has an impact on your life. Like the word faith, like when you read through the Bible, you see the word faith. That word faith literally has with it three different meanings that all of them are to elicit us towards some sort of action. Like, like it's a moving kind of faith. Like you can't just have a faith where it's like, well, yeah, sure, but Jesus rose from the dead to save me from my sins, great, I'll do whatever I want. It's like, no, no, no. Like, true saving faith is a faith which actually propels us towards obedience in Christ. And so they accepted this message. They accepted the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? Ernie kind of covered it last week, but the gospel is that Jesus Christ came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died a sufficient sacrificial death and rose from the dead three days later to satisfy the wrath of God for your sins and to bring you into a restored relationship with God. That's the gospel. Jesus Christ came, he lived, he died, he rose again so that people who are enemies of God can now become children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. People who accept this message are called Christians. Now, here's what the gospel isn't. The gospel isn't that you grew up going to church. The gospel isn't that your parents are Christians. The gospel isn't, I've been a Christian my whole life. Have you ever heard that? Maybe you've said it. Oh, I've been a Christian my whole life. It's like, no, you haven't. You were born in sin. Like you were born an enemy of God in need of a savior for the sin that sat under the wrath of God. Like you haven't been a Christian your whole life because you were born an enemy of God. No one's been a Christian their whole life. The gospel isn't just believing that there is a God. And I'm sorry if this steps on your toes. The gospel, no I'm not. The gospel isn't coming to college and finding salt. I'm really thankful. I'm so grateful. Like, Salt Company is like the forefront ministry of our church. Like, our desire is to reach the next generation with the gospel. Like, you guys are why Candeo is here. Like, you know that? Like, if the university wasn't here, Candeo wouldn't be here. We would have gone to where the university was. Like, you guys are tremendously important to Candeo Church. But here's the thing. Salt Company is not your savior. Salt Company exists to tell you about our great savior. If Salt Company is the star, Salt Company cannot be the star in your testimony. Can't be. Because Salt Company isn't what saved you from the wrath of God. Jesus Christ is what saves you from the wrath of God. And so the gospel is what Peter, so they, this is what verse 41, so those who accepted his message, so here's what Peter says in verses 23 and 24 of Acts chapter two. Here's what Peter says. This is the message that he gives them. It says, here's Peter standing up in front of all these Jewish people like Peter's filled with the Spirit and he gives this sermon. He says, though he was delivered, so Jesus, though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up 
ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. Have you accepted this message? Like I know we're talking about the community of believers tonight, but we have to start off just asking, like, have you accepted this message of the gospel? Have you put your trust, your faith, your weight on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to save you from the wrath of God? Because tonight as we talk about community, the biggest question isn't, are you in a connection group? The biggest, the biggest question, that's an, we'll get to that, but the biggest question isn't, are you connected with, with other believers? The biggest question is, are you connected with God? Have you first been brought into community with God through faith in Jesus Christ? Have you accepted this message? So let's keep reading. Chapter two, verse, I'll read 41 again. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were, were added to them. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all, as any had need. So what you see here in the early church is that right after these people accept the message of the gospel, what we see is that when they accepted the gospel individually, they couldn't help but express the gospel as a community. That when they accepted the gospel individually, they couldn't help but express the gospel as a community. They accepted the message, were baptized, and immediately gave themselves to a particular kind of lifestyle. And that lifestyle was they gave themselves to two things. We're gonna unpack those two things. They gave themselves to learning together and to loving one another. What are two things that Christians have to do? Like have to do? Is that Christians, once they accept the gospel individually, the lifestyle that we now use and live to express the gospel communally is that we devote ourselves, we commit ourselves together to learning and to loving, to learning together and to loving one another. So first, the first focus, learning together. What were they devoted to learning here in Acts chapter two? Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Essentially what that was, was they, they devoted themselves to the New Testament. That's what the apostles' teaching is. And it's not because they didn't value the Old Testament. This is a bunch of Jews whose whole communal life had revolved around the Old Testament. So it's not that the Old Testament wasn't important. It was just that now, with faith in Jesus Christ, like now the apostles' teaching both told them the gospel, like death, burial, resurrection, faith in Christ, new life, and community, like that, and then told them how that gospel practically plays itself out in your life, both individually and as a community. So they devoted themselves to learning with one another. What is the gospel and how should it affect our lives? That's what they were devoted to learning together. And so the question for you this evening is, is your community devoted to this? Is your church devoted to this? 
Is your church devoted to opening the word of God, seeing what God says, and figuring out how this applies to our life and how it should impact our life? Is your connection group committed to this? Is your connection group committed to learning together the teachings of this book and how the gospel should apply to our lives? Or are the most fun, most interactive times in your connection group when you're talking about anything but the Bible? I've been there. Where it's like, you get together, everything's great, we're maybe eating some food, we're, talk, we're joking around, we're talking, la, la, la. Hey, let, let's open the Bible. Boop. Like all of a sudden, like everyone becomes a mute, right? You've been in this, come on. Like you gotta know, if, you, if your group hasn't experienced this, like just wait, it, it'll happen. Particularly on the community side, man, it's like people, like the most extra, I don't care how extroverted you are, the minute you wanna start talking about the Bible in that group, it's like, like trying to just pry it out of them. Is that your group? Here's the thing, healthy Christian community will always be marked by a commitment to learning together as you look at what the Bible says and learn how it should affect how you think, how you feel, and how you act. Like if you just wanna know, like how do I, this applies just for you too, like how do I study my Bible individually? How do, how do we study our Bibles when we get into our connection group? Seriously, super simple. Open it up, read it. What does this tell me about God? Because the Bible's first a book about God, not about you. What does this tell me about God? And how should that change how I think, what I feel, and what I do? That's it. What does this tell me about God? How should this affect what I think, how I feel, and what I do? So, healthy Christian community first commits themselves to learning together. Commit yourselves to learning together. What else do they do? They committed themselves to loving one another. And no, notice how they did this. This is all in verse 42. I'm not, I'm not spending this much time in every verse. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Here's what they did. They ate together. They prayed together. They took care of each other. They learned together and they loved one another, and the way that they loved one another was they ate together, they prayed together, they took care of each other. Like eating together for us is more like fast food drive-through kind of thing, right? Like having, sharing a meal with somebody isn't nearly as significant of a thing as it was here in Acts 2. Because guess, guess what this said? When you sat down at the table with somebody else, what you were saying was like, wasn't just that we were both hungry. Like that's, that's not what that said. That was like, no, I accept this person. Like, I identify with this person. Like, I am glad that this person, like, I, I, am, I am connected with this person. Like, what you think about this person, you need to think about me. Which is why, as you see through the New Testament, when Jesus is eating with these crazy sinners, everybody loses their mind. Because Jesus is, like, saying, he's like, I'm eating a meal with them. And so, so everyone's looking at that going, like, wait, he's eating a meal with tax collectors and prostitutes. That says so much about Jesus. It was so scandalous. Here's the thing. Our Christian community will naturally mean that we associate with people not like us. And not just that we associate with them, but that we embrace them. That we say, hey, we don't have, we don't have a whole lot 
in common, actually. Like, we're from, you're, you're, you, have, you have different cultures, different races, different languages, different preferences. You're, you're, you're for, you, you have totally different political leanings than me. But the thing that unites us is not our preferences. The thing that unites us is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what was happening here in Acts is they're saying, we accept the same gospel, which means that you are my brother, you are my sister. We have a seat at the same table, that whatever someone says about you, now they're saying it about me. And we're so different in so many ways. But because we're united in Christ, we can identify with one another because we have an identity that's deeper than our preferences and that's deeper than our blood. We are connected on a spiritual level. And so in order to be able to eat with each other, pray with each other, what you see here, they provided for each other. Now all believers were together and held all things in common. Verse 45, they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. You know what, you know what that requires? It requires sacrificial, radical generosity. Sacrificial, radical generosity. It required that as they were together, their primary concern wasn't what they could get, but their primary concern was what they could give. When they walked into a room and they saw each other, it wasn't what can I get from that person? It's what need do they have that I can radically and sacrificially meet? Their primary concern wasn't what they could get, but it was what they could give. And so here's what's probably happening for a lot of you, okay? What's probably happening for a lot of you is that a lot of you are in a connection group. Not all of you, a lot of you. If you're not in a connection group, get in a connection group. But a lot of you are in a connection group and you're still kind of in that honeymoon phase, right? Like everything is great, these people are great, she's gonna be my best friend and I just love everything. Like that's kind of where, that's kind of where your connection group's at, you know? Like you've, you've met maybe a couple times, you're just like, oh my gosh, this is great. And everything's great. <laughs> but here's what'll happen, okay? because it's, it's September, you'll get to October, maybe early November, like, like just after the fall retreat wears off too. Because fall retreat, everything will be great. October, November, and you'll be really disappointed because what felt really exciting at the beginning now feels a little mundane. And it turns out that that person you thought you were gonna be best friends with, like, I just met you and I feel like I've known you forever and like, we're gonna be best friends. Like, no, they're actually just, they're different than you. Like, deep, meaningful relationships don't happen overnight. They just don't. The only thing that grows overnight are weeds. Like, and they just get blown away. It's like, it's like relationships, like friendships, relationships are more like mushrooms. They are, they just take forever to grow. Oak trees might have been a better analogy there. So, but that's just what's true, right? 
So meaningful relationships are more difficult than it seems, and there aren't always gonna be those aha moments in your group, right? And everyone isn't gonna confess sin and cry every week in your group, and everything isn't always gonna be epic, and everything isn't always gonna feel like this warm, fuzzy experience as you leave your group. And then, huh, and then all of a sudden, you start conveniently scheduling your homework at the same time that your connection group is. Right? Yeah, I see you. Because <laughs> God forbid I do my homework when I was watching Netflix at 4 p.m. Like, you know, like, conveniently other things kind of like fill in the gaps. It's like, ah, I don't think I'm gonna come because I got this thing. It's like, oh, I'm just so busy. And what'll happen in October or November is some of you will begin to think that your group sucks because you aren't really getting a whole lot out of it. And, and, and let me just talk to the future you, okay? Because that, that's gonna happen to a lot of you. So let me talk to future you for a second, and I hope you remember this. When this comes, when you're feeling those things, which a lot of you will inevitably feel, what's happening is that you're seeing what you're really committed to. What's happening is that what you're really committed to is being tested. Am I really committed to these people? Or am I just committed to this emotional experience? Do I really love these people? Or do I just love how they made me feel? What's your posture when you enter into Christian community? What's your posture when you come into this place? What's your posture when you go into your connection group? Is your primary posture trying to figure out what you can get from the group? Or is your primary posture what you can give to the group? Because I'm telling you, the early church, they walked in and they weren't looking at what they could get. They were looking at what they could give. Because what we see here in Acts 2 is the first expression of radical unselfishness within the Christian community. Radical unselfishness. Because you will be in a group with people that annoy you. Right? You'll be in a group with people that you'll just be kind of glad if they don't show up this week. Right? You'll be in a group with people who aren't like you, who don't like you, who like, like everything you don't like. You'll have different preferences. You'll be in a group of people totally unlike you. But what this means is that you and me were to sacrifice our own desires, our own preferences, our own comfort, even our own property for the sake of providing for the needs of people who are totally unlike us. Why in the world should we do that? It's because this is exactly what Christ has done for you. It's only because of the self-sacrificial love of God that you are able to be brought into community with God himself. 
You are so unlike God. You realize that? Like we were born into sin. We're enemies of God. Like we don't like the same things God likes because left to my own devices, I like sin and God is holy. Like we could not be more different, me and God. You and God. But because of the self-sacrificial love of God, heaven was bankrupted of its greatest possession. You see that? Heaven let go of its greatest possession for the sake of meeting the need of someone totally unlike heaven. You. Me. And it's that self-sacrificial love of Christ that you and I are to express within the context of Christian community. And so what if our Christian community actually looked like this? Can you imagine what would happen if your connection group actually looked like this? That is, that, that if as an adopted child of God, knowing how unlike God you were, and yet God gave of himself so that you could be brought into, to, into community with him, what would that look like if you committed yourselves to learning together and to loving one another? Here's the thing. You don't have to imagine it. Check out verse 46. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. What this looks like, first, that we praise God together. We praise God together, praising God. Because here's the thing, beautiful things demand praise. You know this. Beautiful things demand praise. We, we can't help it. You just can't help it. When you love something, you can't help but share it. You just can't. Like, I'll try to stop you and you'll still do it, right? Here's what C.S. Lewis said. Here's how he defined this. That beauty demands praise. Here's what he says. If we think we delight to praise what we enjoy, because the praise not merely, ex uh, I oh, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. Here's what that means. That means that when you are watching a, your favorite movie with someone who hasn't seen it yet, you know this, that half of the time you're watching the movie, the other half the time you're watching them. Right? Why is that? Why do we do that? Like, why when we find that, that stupid YouTube video, do we immediately go across the hall and we're like, you gotta see this, it's cats, like, whatever, you know, whatever it is. Like, why is that? Why do we do that? We just like, like, look, look. And, and sometimes, like, I don't even, like, watch it with them. I just watch them. Why is that? It's because we've found something that we enjoy, and that thing we enjoy it more as we watch somebody else enjoy it. Beautiful things demand to be praised. You and I are hardwired to do that. 
And if we find our greatest joy in Jesus, if we find our greatest joy in the one who came and brought us into community with God, we are naturally going to enjoy praising him together. Because not, not, not only do we enjoy praising him, but our enjoyment is greater as we praise him together. So they enjoyed God together. They also enjoyed the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the radical witness of Christian community. This is the radical witness of Christian community. Because here's the thing. The ultimate goal of community isn't to find your group of people and then create this like exclusive bubble that you just try to hang on to as best you can for the rest of the year. Like I just got, like I got my friends, I'm gonna have my friends for the rest of the year. I'm just gonna try to hold on to them as much as I can. No, the natural overflow of your learning with one another and your love for each other is that your community should have a transformational impact to your surroundings, transformational. Like our connection groups, your community, you ought to love one another so sacrificially, so counterculturally, so radically generously, that's a phrase, that people on your dorm floor and in your apartment and at your work and in whatever circle that you're in, that even if they don't believe what you believe, even if they don't think the way you think, even if they're just totally opposed to Jesus, like that it will stir up within them a peculiar curiosity. It's like, why do those people love each other so much when they're so unlike each other? And when that question is asked, we can respond because we know what is true. That the reason that we can love one another so self-sacrificially is that God proved his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it's true. You can tell a lot about a parent by looking at their kids. You really can. Because of that, Salt Company, would we be a people? Would we be a college ministry? Would Candeo be a church? Would you be a connection group that reflects the greatness of our Heavenly Father and His love for the world through our radical commitment to learning together and to loving one another? Would we make God look as great as He, as he is by the way that we learn together and love one another. Let's pray. Father, you are the one who bankrupted heaven. You are the one who made a seat at the table. You are the one that while we were still sinners, while we were so unlike you in every way, when we were so adamantly opposed to you, that God, you gave 
your most precious possession to meet our deepest need. God, would we be a community that reflects that same self-sacrificial love to each other. God, forgive me for holding on so tightly to my possessions at the sake of your glory being put on display to a watching world. Would we be a people, would we be a community that makes you look as great as you truly are? Thank you for adopting us. Thank you for calling us your sons and your daughters. We brought nothing to the table except the sin that you took away through the blood of your son. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.